Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Fixed income markets are off to a promising start this year after facing their worst ever year on record in 2022. In mid-January, the two- and ten-year Treasury notes fell to a four-month low following weaker economic data. And now all eyes will be on the Fed's next rate move to see how it will impact bond yields once again. So, will rates remain elevated? And what are some scenarios at play in a higher rate environment? Joining us today to discuss scenario analysis across a range of fixed income sectors in 2023 is Fidelity Quantitative Analyst Stacy Ware. Based in Fidelity's fixed income headquarters in Merrimack, New Hampshire, Stacy works closely with the Tactical Bond, Core, and Core Plus teams on asset allocation and risk management. In speaking with host Pamela Ritchie, Stacy shares how she and the team are constantly recalibrating models as more data comes in on inflation and other macro variables and projections. They use a proprietary risk model with 5,000 simulations conditioned on the VIX, both current and forward, which shows them how various models relate to future outcomes for Fidelity fixed income portfolios. Stay tuned for all of this and more. Today's podcast was recorded on January 25th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read funds prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Welcome, Stacey. Great to see you. Thank you, Pamela. It's great to be here. Very glad you could join us here. I'm, I'm going to begin with the question mark that uh, apparently we might talk about less one day, but at the moment, very much the discussion of where you see inflation at this point. We've, we've actually seen inflation come back in certain parts of, of the world where perhaps interest rates took a pause. Um, we've seen the Bank of Canada also talk about the pause situation. Um, Where do you see inflation at this stage? Well, as you mentioned, we work very, very closely with our team of of macro analysts on this topic, and and we constantly recalibrate our quantitative models. So right now, we're looking at a base case of of core inflation moderating uh, over the next year. Um, But it's something that we're continually looking at as we get more and more data as the analysts and, and, and our macro team um, look at other projections, for example, like data is coming out on the, the from Zillow for uh, shelter, the shelter component of inflation, and, and, and that's pointing to towards inflation moderating there. So goods and services is, is something that we're, we're looking at closely, and we have a range of scenarios based on different outcomes of of those components. So right now, our, our models are, are pointing to the likely scenario of uh, core inflation moderating over the course of the next year, which is, as you pointed out, has implications for the Fed and rates, um, et cetera, over the, over the next year. And broadly speaking, how does it affect the bond market? So right now, we're looking at um, yields, which have uh, historical highs in, in yields, and we're, it, it's a it's a question of of how high for for how long. So like 
the Fed is 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 obviously wanting to um, dampen an inflation, and they're trying to to tame inflation by by raising rates as they have done over the course of of 2022 at, at, at a historical pace. And it's now, uh, is the Fed going to slow down like the Bank of Canada has? Uh, how long are they going to hold rates at, at this level? And um, how, when are they going to start to pivot and, and, and maybe start reducing rates? And that's something that we have to take into considerations when we're looking at quantitative models over the course of the next year, because all these different scenarios are, are in play. And, and what we're actually seeing right now with, with yields at the level that they are, the, the more likely scenarios are, are showing um, yields um, come down lower over the over the course of the next year. Um, so that's something that we're looking at the the probability of um, in in our models. It's it's fascinating, and I wonder if you can sort of situate us and as you sort of situate how your work works with various teams, specifically those fixed income teams that we sort of mentioned in the introduction. Sure, of course. So um, my my process is is tends to be an asset allocation. So in on the core and core plus desk uh, with Jeff and, and Mike, um, we have a five step process. So the first step is is macro. So they're like working with the fundamental macro analysts, really setting the scene as to um, what the picture is, uh, the the macro backdrop, where where we are with the Fed. Um, what, what other macro uh, factors are at play and, and main drivers over the course of the next year. The next step is um, sector. So then we're looking at um, which sectors are, are more attractive, which asset classes. For example, um, we have uh, an overweight to floating rate um, paper. And as the Fed has uh, raised rates dramatically over the, the last year, that's something that's uh, played out really well for us, that sector. Uh, but now, uh, as the Fed um, is thinking about uh, potentially pausing or um, maybe towards the end of the year reducing rates, uh, floating rate may be not such an attractive sector. So, so that's um, where we're talking to the um, macro and, and, and then the sector analysts to see uh, at that level um, where we see the next uh, best opportunity. Uh, and then the piece where I come in is I put it all together in terms of an asset allocation framework. And, and this is where we do scenario analysis, including um, the, the macro backdrop, looking at all the, the different sectors and um, seeing uh, what the likely uh, scenarios are and the sensitivities of the portfolios in, in those scenarios to put it all together. That's so fascinating. So that's where you're actually, there's real building blocks in there, what you're doing. I mean, give us just a little bit of a sense of what you're looking at on your computer when you're sort of building this. Sure. So um, in, in our risk model, we have a proprietary risk model. And so our risk model has um, 5,000 uh, simulations. And these simulations are, are conditioned on the VIX. So um, they are the, the, the current level of the VIX and the forward level of the VIX, because we believe that if the VIX spikes, uh, volatility um, can't remain that high for a long period of time. So there's mean reversion in the VIX. So if, if, if um, volatility um, in the market spike, that, that's a, a good measure um, using the, the, the VIX there. Um, 
And that means that um, it, it will come back down. But what does that mean in terms of the portfolios? Well, if volatility spikes, um, then the range of outcomes um, for a, a specific risk factor, or you can think of it like a, an asset class, for example, um, the range of outcomes is, is a lot broader. And so you can imagine that, you know, when you're thinking of the range of outcomes in the portfolios, especially in fixed income, we like to look at the downside and, and, and focus on some what the risk is there, right? And, and so the tails get broader when, when volatility spikes. And so what we're trying to do is, is uh, assess, it, you know, what are the likelihood of uh, the downside? Where, where is the sensitivity in the portfolio? What has the biggest tails in the, in the portfolio and in, on the downside there? So I look at all the different risk factors. There's 270 risk factors in the model. For example, you've got treasury rates, um, you've got intermediate and long and, and short credit spreads. Um, you've got uh, AB asset-backed securities in there as a, as a factor. So there's um, all the different um, fixed income markets kind of um, feed into our risk model. That's so fascinating. Thank you for sort of giving us a, just a little bit of a tour. Um, there, there's this element, when you see the word tactical, there, there's obviously a flexibility there to move a bit as as things change. And we just outlined there how, how things can change. Volatility obviously can change. Sometimes investors, it, there's a lot of money on the sidelines. There's sort of this discussion of, of, of when some investors get back in or or actually what they're losing by not being in. It sometimes gets called like a reinvestment risk or whether you can... Can you talk a little bit about that, how you manage that ultimately so that perhaps investors don't have to? Sure, definitely. And 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 now it's it's very important as the Fed, you know, has come to a, a point where they're, you know, either decelerating in, in their raising their, their interest rates or um, thinking about a pause. Um, so right now, yields, uh, which means the return on your investment are, are, are very high. They're at historical highs um, for the fixed income markets. And you know, how long can they, they last there? How long can you lock in that yield for? Well, if, if you're investing in like a, a two-year maturity, then you've got your um, yield is locked in for two years. Whereas if you invest in like a 10-year maturity, you're locking in your investment um, for, for 10 years in, in, in that, at that rate that you're, you're buying in. So um, the, the reinvestment really is you know, if you think that the Fed is is going to keep rates um, at this high for a, a long period of time, then, then maybe you're not not necessarily worried about reinvestment risk. But, however, if you're in, for example, like a, a floating rate, which the yield is is reset periodically based on um, some base rate, um, as yields come down, that yield is going to reduce, and so your reinvestment risk is is, is essentially. Um, you would uh, miss out in future as, as yields would decline because the yield you're getting today won't be available um, tomorrow on, on, on the same investment. Um, so that, that's something that we're thinking about in the, in the portfolios. And as I mentioned earlier, um, we're looking at the, the portfolios that have been overweight um, leveraged loans, which are floating rate uh, notes. And we're moving more into high yield, which is a uh, a fixed rate um, investment. So we're locking in those higher yields that we see in the marketplace today um, because we we don't want that 
reinvestment risk and as things reset, yields uh, will move lower in the in the floating rate piece, if that makes sense. That's so fascinating. It absolutely makes sense. And it's, and it's fascinating to think about locking in a high yield. It makes me want to ask you, you know, what's the forecast if that if that's an area to go to? I mean, yes, it's seen the interest rates will, will probably come down. What how do you connect the high yield discussion with things like headlines in the economy, right? I mean, there's still this big discussion of will it, won't it to be a recessionary environment? It, it is very interesting. And, and, and as I mentioned before, in, in step three in the process, I run all kinds of different scenarios. And, and, and what we're seeing there is, is essentially the yield gives you a cushion in, in terms of your drawdown risk. So if there is a recession on the horizon, that's something that I model too, for example, like a a 20% um, decline in, in the stock market and how that would um, impact the portfolios um, over the next year. So that's uh, a scenario that we're, we look at closely. But what we tend to see right now is um, because of these yields are, are, are so high, you essentially have a, a cushion from that carry. So just holding that uh, investment uh, over the uh, course of the year, that carry piece and the income you're getting from your coupons it is going to offset um, the drawdowns in, in price that we would see from a, a recession, for example. Just digging a bit deeper into the economic piece, and, and maybe it's better to think of it as, as a monolith, but I, I'm sort of curious how your scenarios are affected or, or do you put in some of the pieces of, for instance, where you see wages, where you see you see labor discussions and things unfolding within the market. We, we have seen job cuts. I mean, are there pieces of this story that you put into it to sort of obviously help you model where where the recession risk or is not? Yeah, so we have a um, a baseline uh, risk model, right? And 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 this risk model, as I mentioned before, takes into account the volatility of the market through the VIX and 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 the mean reversion there. So that's our base case. So there we have the, the 5,000 um, conditioned uh, simulations of, of where we expect the uh, portfolio um, returns to be over the course of the next year. And, and it's very interesting looking at that. And I'll touch into you know, how we adjust that in the future. But just our base case, for example, right now, we're seeing uh, we, we, we model like a, a quarter out. So when we're looking at a, a quarter out, if for example, if we're looking at an annualized return of, of plus um, 10%, looking out a, a quarter, that would be equivalent to a 250 basis points in a quarter. And, and for our portfolios um, right now, we're seeing a, a probability of a, of a return greater than that of, of 50% in the portfolio. So we're, we're really seeing our base case right now being a, a, a really good time to invest in, in fixed income because of those high yields that I mentioned and the, um, the, the, the cushion that you're getting from that um, income return, the coupon um, component. And if we uh, contrast this with our base case um, 18 months ago, for example, we were really looking at um, you know, an only a 12% um, chance of, of getting an annualized return of, of greater than 10% over the next quarter. So um, that it has really increased. So the, the opportunity uh, for fixed income to really deliver um, this year has, has really gone up. And um, so then when you mentioned on, on, on the macro front, like how do we um, put in new macro data into the scenarios? So 
thinking about over the course of the, the, the last year, um, rates and spreads um, have been um, behaving slightly differently to what they have in the past. Um, yeah. For example, typically uh, rates and spreads uh, move uh, it opposite to each other. So they're anti-correlated. They have a negative correlation, we say. But over the course of the last year, which is why um, fixed income uh, was there was essentially nowhere to hide was because rates and spreads were moving. R rates were going up and spreads were widening. So they, they had a positive correlation. And, and what we're seeing now um, in, in the market is, is that starting to change. But that's also something that we model, too. So on top of our like base case simulations, we can also impose a view. So, for example, one of the, the views that I, that, that I can impose is, you know, what if the, the equity market sells off um, uh, by 20 percent on, on, on the S&P and and uh, the 10 year Treasury uh, moves out, moves higher still by another 50 basis points? What does that scenario? So that's that's incorporating some of that positive correlation we've seen. What does that scenario do for our portfolios? Well, at the yields that we have right now, we're still seeing um, over the course of the, the, the next year at, at, at for the U U.S. ag, we're seeing um, a 70 basis point return in, in that scenario. So it's small, but the, um, the yield means that you're not in negative territory. So we, we don't anticipate a repeat of um, 2022 going forward just because we've got this high yield uh, buffer and this cushion for the bond markets this year. Yeah, that's fascinating. If, if we look across sort of the government bond side of things, we can go into other assets as well. It's interesting, guide us through where you see sort of broadly speaking, the, the global government bond markets going. We, we've seen some massive reactions to fiscal plans in some countries. We've seen um, concerns over, I mean, the debt ceiling discussion is going on now in the U.S. We've, we've heard it before, but give us the picture of sort of the global federal level bond markets ultimately. Yeah, so so as, as we've seen over the, the last year, we've seen a lot of central banks raise rates and, and, and so yields across the globe are, um, are higher at the, the government bond level. And, and so Yield curves in general uh, are flatter, and in in you know in the case of the U.S., we're we're inverted in, in the yield curve, and so that that's not something we are expecting to persist. But the question is, how does the the yield curve steepen? How um, do does uh, the 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 short end rates essentially um, come down? Does it pivot around the the ten year point, the seven year point? Where is the uh, opportunity essentially on the yield curve? So in the portfolios right now, um, because we've been holding this uh, floating rate uh, piece on the short end, we have uh, been um, exposed to the 30-year treasury on, on the long run, and um, w which has worked out really well for us as the yield curve has, has flattened. Um, however, as the yield curves uh, steepen, we need to uh, think about shifting more into the belly and, and, and where in the in the belly um, that would be, which is where some of the scenario analysis and, and, and the modeling that I do um, come in, in in terms of asset allocation. Where are we going to be focused on in the belly? So right now we're thinking that the, the seven to 10 year part of the curve is is 
where we're um, thinking to get more more bulleted to take advantage of, of some of that steep thing right now. But in general, um, overweight duration um, duration is is something that we are um, seeing as more attractive. As, as as I mentioned, like yields being high, that there's a lot of um, uh, advantage to just being in um, government bonds. Um, what we're seeing in, in spreads right now, we're, we're, we're kind of in the, in the median uh, percentile uh, range for spreads. So it's not like there's a, a, an opportunity um, to add risk and, and, you know, thinking with the recession kind of backdrop looming too, that's, some, that's something that we're cautious on there and, and, and using our fundamental um, analyst research to really pick our, our, our spots in, in, in terms of where we're thinking about adding in, in terms of spreads. But, you know, with the government bond yields as, as, as high as they are now, it's a, it's a good opportunity um, to, to invest in, in, in the risk-free portion of the fixed income market. So it's so fascinating uh, taking a look at that. I remember speaking, Jeff, I don't know, in the last several months, sort of, sort of as central banks were really getting the motor running, essentially also QT was starting in the United States. He said that there's fog, but that fog was going to lift and, and then opportunities would be a bit, you know, if not crystal clear, sort of much clearer. Can you just comment on that where we are now? Yeah, sure. So um, I think last year, uh, a lot of the fog was um, in, in, in European um, markets was were they going to have enough energy to survive the winter, uh, for example. And, and now it's become clear that, you know, they, they do have enough energy to survive the winter. And, and so that, um, recession that that might impose if, you know, factories were going to shut down has, has kind of, um, you know, the fog has cleared to, to use Jeff, what Jeff's words there on, on that side of things. So it, it, it's making it clearer as to what's happening in Europe right now, um, with, with that energy, uh, piece, um, off, off the table. Um, but then there's other things that are, that, that are cropping up and there always is. So like, for example, now we have, you know, the uncertainty around the China reopening and, and how that's going to um, impact either the inflation side of things or um, whether it's going to ease the, the, the inflation problems as, as things kind of open back up and, and, and get back to normal. So that's kind of like a question um, mark there. So that there, there will always be some fog, which is, I guess, where my job comes in, um, because when we're looking at you know, what are the, the probabilities and, and, and what are the odds of, you know, different outcomes and where the portfolio is, is more sensitive to. So, so that's something, uh, you know, that we're taking into account as, as we're interpreting the, re the results from the risk model and, and the scenario analysis, if, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And um, something else that's always there, uh, but it's something to worry about, I guess, on some level, is the geopolitical question. Again, that's something that is sort of ever present, but it's something that investors are concerned about, certainly today, these days. Uh, again, how ultimately keeping your money, perhaps on the fixed income and bond markets, does that sort of help or hinder, cushion the blow, if you will? Yeah. And and. You know, I, I, on that piece, like it, it's been unclear whether the bonds have been a diversifier over the last year. And in 2022, as the you know the equity market um, saw a negative return, and also in the bond market, so there was no place to hide. But as I mentioned, we are having some days now 
where, you know, we're seeing that negative correlation, whether it's between uh, spreads and rates or equities and, and bonds, we are seeing bonds become more of a diversifier again, as uh, we are getting to more um, at a slowing down the rate of hikes from the Fed and coming to more of a moderated inflation kind of world. Um, that That's something that we are seeing bonds behave more normal if there is ever such a normal <laughs> <laughs> well it, it it's sort of it's it's just you know interesting to have watched so much money uh be poured into economies for the very good reason that there was a global pandemic uh, but also obviously seeing that come out it it also feels like not just the end of that type of stimulus due to the pandemic, but but also just almost two decades of, well, you know, decade and a half of of loose policy of monetary policy. That that is just such a big change, like generational change, really. Yes, yes. And 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 you know the the consumer makes up like 70% of the the economy in, in the US. So that's also, you know, something that's feeding into the um, macro backdrop. Like what what is the consumer spending power? That's something that we look at when we're uh, running our scenarios, like, do we expect a recession or or, or do we not expect a, a recession? Or, you know, is that going to um, help inflation come down? Is inflation going to drop like a rock? Or, or, you know, is it going to persist for, for longer than we think because of China? So it's all these different um, pieces that, that come into play that we have to um, consider when we are um, looking at our models and, and, and interpreting the outcomes. Can you give us a sense of what the scenarios and the models that you're building do say about the consumer's health predilections? How does the consumer sit these days? Yeah, so um, we, we don't specifically um, feed the consumer spending into our models. Where we do see them show up, for example, is in um, the asset-backed security factors, um, where we've got, um, you know, those uh, investments are based on um, credit card loans, um, and that's what's backing that sector. Um, and, and right now, uh, we're not seeing a default pick up in, in, in the high quality um, uh, ABS, uh, asset-backed securities in, in that factor. So that shows us that, you know, that they still remain in, in good health, and we're still expecting um, that that factor in our risk model um, is um, still in line and we're not expecting to see a dramatic uh, increase in spread of that sector um, r right now because of the consumer. So that would be one example of where we would see a direct flow through from consumer spending power into our uh, risk model. I think it might even be a couple of years back. There's some cloudiness just sort of remembering when conversations took place. But Michael Plage, I think we had a conversation on, on Fidelity Connects, and this might have been a couple of years ago when yields, you know, were much lower. Um, and I think you did some scenario research then about, you know, what would happen, for instance, if equities fell, I think about 20%, bonds would give, I think, more of a modest amount back because the situation was, as you stated, what what about now when you run some sort of um, comparable scenario? Yeah, so so there's a couple of things in this. So right now, is, is if the equity market falls 20%, we're looking at a 30-year treasury return of, of double digits of like 10%, which is um, great from where we are now if we're expecting 
you know, rates and um, spreads and, and the fixed income and, and equity to be um, anti-correlated or negatively correlated as, as one would expect as, you know, inflation moderates and, and the Fed kind of pauses or slows down. The other thing, um, looking back in history, so, you know, we, we project forward in, in some of our scenario analyses, but we also try to learn from the past. And, and, and so some of the scenario analysis that we do also looks at uh, replays of this historical events, not because we think they're ever going to happen again in future, but just to learn a bit more about, you know, how things can behave. Because, you know, um, from a quantitative standpoint, um, you know that the next uh, re recession or, or the next big sell-off is never predicted um, but going back in history. No one can really predict it. So we're trying to learn from the past to uh, project forward into the future. But we're also um, trying to really understand, uh, you know, how the correlations between the different fixed income asset classes behave in those tails, because tail events aren't something that happen very often. Um, and another thing that we're, we, we look at right now, um, are if we're looking back historically, uh, we look at peak yields in the past and what have the returns been in, in the different asset classes from those uh, peak yield points. So um, I think over the last past five peaks in, in, in the 10 year treasury yields, if you then look at the um, returns in, in, in the U.S. credit market, the high yield market, and um, in the equity market, you, you do see double digit returns over the next three to five years um, when we've done that analysis looking backwards. So again, if, if we think we are getting to a point where the, the Fed is, is slowing down or, or the Fed um, hikes uh, are, are pausing, um, in line with what we're seeing from the Bank of Canada, who was the first to lead this um, uh, back last year, um, you know, we could be getting to a, a peak in yields, in which case that that has traditionally been, if you're looking backwards, a, a good time to um, invest in fixed income in, in, in these asset classes where um, we uh, have exposure to in the core and the core plus portfolios. Stacey, we're, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Really appreciate your time and explaining to all of us how you work within the team and this sort of brilliant use of scenarios, how it comes into and what you see with them. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure too. Ms. Stacey Ware, thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.